This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And just like that, we're back. It's another edition, the last one for this week of the Late Kick Extra podcast. It's April. You believe it? It's April. It's April 1st, the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Josh Pate. This is Wall to Wall Mailbag. It's how we do it every Tuesday and Thursday morning. JoshPate706 at gmail.com is one way to submit a question. At Late Kick Josh on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh on Instagram. More on Instagram in just a second. We've got a loaded mailbag this morning. I mean, we got some really entertaining off-the-walls questions. It's college football. Got a lot of college football this morning, but maybe from some angles that I'm sure we've never touched on on this show before. So this is going to be really good. Quick reminder, we are loading up Instagram right now. I'm putting new videos out like every day. Told you I'm scrolling through the old iJosh every night when I'm sitting in the office all alone, and I'm finding all these videos I used to shoot like yesterday. I found one that I had totally forgotten about. It was from the national title game in 2018. That was the one where Clemson splattered Alabama all over the place. And I was on the field after the game just filming, celebration. It's really cool because you always see that on TV. You always see the confetti raining down, but you never get a field-level perspective of it. So I put it up. Interestingly enough, now that I think about it, the day before, or maybe two days before, I put one up of the sideline perspective of Williams-Brice Stadium. That's the South Carolina home field, which I've always told you is the most underrated home venue in all of college football. So if you like access and you like information, that's going to be the place that you want to be following me at late kick Josh on Instagram added bonus. When we get to 2000, which we're approaching every day, we're adding dozens and dozens and dozens on there a day. When we get to 2000 and subsequently every thousand thereafter, we will be doing a new edition of the late kick show owners association. And I'm telling you, we have got some good things planned for that. And about 20 to 30 of you are going to be involved and it will have another lottery when we get there and when we decide on a date for that. But you got to get us to 2000 first, though, on Instagram. So at late kick Josh on IG. With that in mind, and if I don't tell you afterwards, I'll tell you now. Happy Easter weekend. Sunday night, we will not have a show. We'll have another one on Tuesday. Sunday, we take the entire day off. Most important holiday of the year for us here at late kick. So um, now that we have all the programming notes out of the way, now let's dive in to this morning's podcast. Carson starts us off. He said, did you hear Mike Gundy's idea for spring games, and do you agree? So, Carson, about 15 minutes before I opened this document, I heard Mike Gundy's take. It was on Twitter this morning. I retweeted it out. I sort of attached my thoughts to it there. Mike Gundy was essentially saying, this is the head coach at Oklahoma State, for those unfamiliar, he was saying, I don't like the way that our spring roster shapes up. And a lot of times we cannot have a proper spring game because we don't have enough depth. Now, some of you said, well, you got 80 to 100 players. How can you not have enough to put 22 guys out there? He's not saying that. He's talking about the fact that maybe at right guard, they only have two serviceable bodies right now. Well, how are you going to split up into two teams and have two right guards total? Well, the answer is you only have one on each team. You have no depth. I mean, at that point, it's totally irresponsible. It's, it's dangerous. I mean, you don't want your guys playing that way, especially in spring in a game that really doesn't count. Uh, you're just trying to put on an entertaining product have a finish line of sorts for guys to get through and finish their spring. But Mike Gundy, because of that reason, among many other reasons, said, 
I wish we could just scrimmage Arkansas. I wish we could call up Texas A&M or Nebraska, somebody, and I wish we could scrimmage them. And that would be our spring game. I'm so on board with this. I've been on board with this for a long time. I'll take it a step further. Whereas Mike Gundy talked about doing Power 5 on Power 5 scrimmages, I think you should schedule FCS teams for your scrimmage game. And now that I'm talking, I'm realizing this will be a really good segment on Late Kick, so I'll probably talk about this again tonight on Late Kick Live. But in the meantime... I want you to think about this. What's the big criticism for some of these, especially in the SEC, some of these Power 5 schools? The criticism is, oh, you guys are scheduling FCS cupcake games late in the year. I've never cared about it because I know every SEC schedule in conference is strong enough to where even if I added two FCS teams onto Texas A&M schedule, they'd still be playing a tougher schedule than some of the programs in the Pac-12 that play all Power 5 competition. So independent of that point, we can argue that another day. Here's how I kill two birds with one stone. Really, it's like four birds, so I'll name some of them here. What if instead of having Texas A&M play Lamar in week nine of the regular season, I had them play the spring game as their scrimmage, and the payout is still there. You're still paying Lamar to come in there. You still organize it and schedule it with a TV partner, so it's televised, so the TV network gets really premium, valuable spring live college football content. That's great for inventory. They would drool. They would salivate over that. They'd be more than willing to fit the bill to bring Lamar in to College Station, maybe in a combined effort with Texas A&M to play that game. Lamar gets a chance to play on the national stage. Their players get exposure. Texas A&M gets to play against another team instead of themselves. It's going to be a good showcase event because you're probably going to run over them, but also you're going to get valuable reps. Fans get to see the closest thing you'll ever get in spring to a real football game. I don't know who loses here. And I've never really spoken to coaches who would be against this idea. Do you notice what I'm saying here? Everything I just presented is a concept that 90 plus percent of the college football fan crowd, the college football coaching crowd, the college football media crowd would be on board with. How is there something that is such a consensus out there agreed upon that isn't happening. So you know what? Since we have a couple dozen people who are listening to this show now, I'll start pushing for it. Maybe I'll make this a project of mine in the offseason. So talking about it now, I'll talk about it again tonight. But yes, let me pull up my document again. Carson, that's who asked this question. Yes, Carson, I'm wholeheartedly on board. In fact, here's my challenge. I would challenge anyone because I could just be overlooking something. I'd challenge someone who thinks it's a bad idea to go find me the holes in this argument. What are the loopholes? What am I missing? I had one guy who wasn't necessarily trying to shoot it down, but he offered another point of view earlier today. David offered on Twitter a point of view that, well, imagine if you're a coach on the hot seat and then your team looks really, really poor in the spring game and then you get fired after the spring game. I really doubt it would come to that. I really do. But having said that, if you're the athletic director and the university, I mean, that's ultimately where this decision will be made. Are you really going to let the fact that your head coach doesn't like the uh, doesn't like the optics of maybe putting himself in a vulnerable position by playing an FCS opponent in a spring game scrimmage situation as being the only deterrent to stand in the way of good TV exposure, good brand exposure, good money, good player experience, good fan experience. Really, are we going to let that stand in the way? I don't think so. So I have not to this point had any reasonable logic based point brought against this idea. I've got like 48 of them in favor. Ron is next up. Ron says, what do you think the great coaches from the 60s and 70s would say about today's game if they could magically teleport right into 2021? This is a great question. I could go the rest of this podcast on this question. Let's just close our eyes for a second, unless you're driving, unless you're mowing the yard. 
But if you're in a safe spot, if you're out on your porch or something, sipping a sweet tea, just close your eyes for a second and imagine your Woody Hayes or your Era Parsagian or your, your Bear Bryant, Bo Schimbeckler. Just close your eyes and there you are roaming the sidelines in the 60s or the 70s. And then all of a sudden, I guess that's how it sounds when you teleport. I've never done it. I hope to do it one day, but I've never done it. But you just teleported. And so you go from Legion Field or, or the Horseshoe in Columbus, Ohio to boom, all of a sudden you're in 2021. And you look around, well, Legion Field would be a little bit different than it used to be back when uh, Alabama played there. But look around. Do you even recognize what you're looking at? I just off the top of my head, let's go down the list of things and I'll probably leave out like 50 that you can think of. I'm looking around at the players. The players are way bigger than they were, but they're also faster than they were. I'm specifically thinking about offensive linemen. Go back. If you haven't before, if you're 32 years old or 25 years old, have some fun. Pull up the YouTube machine and just search a Nebraska game or an Ohio State game or a Michigan game from 1975 and check out the starting lineups and look at the size of the offensive linemen. John Hanna played for Alabama, was one of the very, very best offensive linemen, very best football players that the sport of college football had seen ever at his time and still today is talked about regularly as being one of the best offensive linemen overall in the history of the game. 6'2", 265. That was his height and playing weight when he was at Alabama. I mean, I remember back when Saban first got there, he had Rolando McLean and Dante Hightower both playing middle linebacker at 250 and 255. And by the way, John Hanna was a big player. He was a big offensive lineman. He, 265 was considered one of the bigger offensive linemen of his era. Now, granted, if John Hanna existed in 2021 and had access to proper nutrition, strength training that's right in line with what the modern day guys have, he wouldn't be playing at 265. Maybe he wouldn't be playing offensive line. Maybe he'd be at a different position. But my point is, if I were to be a coach, if I were to be Bear Bryant in that case, and I were to teleport myself early 70s to modern day, 2021, I'm looking at my best offensive lineman, one of my biggest offensive linemen, and he is 40 pounds lighter than the average in major power five football right now. The average offensive line is over 300 pounds for most of these programs, and some of them are regularly trotting offensive lines out there that average in the 310 to 315 range, and many, many of the premier names are topping 330 pounds, 340 pounds. So I would look at that, and I would say, that's 80 pounds heavier than what my big and best offensive linemen used to weigh. That's one thing that would stand out immediately. Also, I'm looking at the athleticism, and they're not sacrificing any speed or any versatility or any quick twitch. I didn't even know what quick twitch meant back in the 70s, but they're not sacrificing any of the things that you would think they'd have to sacrifice to play at that size. Imagine looking at the passing concepts. Imagine looking at the different formations, pre-snap shifts and motions, the versatility at a place like the running back position, for example, imagine looking at the size and stature of modern day running backs and then looking at what they also do in the passing game and how seamlessly a lot of them transition out of the backfield, even play to play down to down to being an elite route runner and an elite, therefore, receiving threat. Then I think about this, the understanding of the science behind hydration, muscle fibers and different ways to train guys, the things we talked about the other day in terms of GPS tracking? What is GPS, first off? And then secondly, once I figure out what GPS is, how can you apply it to an athlete? Don't you guys use that for cars? Well, yeah, we use it for both things now. Many things, actually. I would also just pause and I would look at the spectacle of the sport. It was, college football was a big deal in the 70s, but nothing, of course, like it is today. If you ever go to these games, if you don't normally go, let's say, and you walk in and you look around, take your eyes a second to adjust 
When you look at all the technology and video boards and whatnot and presentation, you also look at the scope, just the overall size of the facilities that you walk into in major college football. And then you also look at the presentation element. There's sort of a theater element to a college football game and the way it's produced these days, both for television and for the in-game experience. It's a lot to take in. I mean, it can be a lot for an adjustment of the eyes for a period when you first walk in and you're playing a football game in the middle of all that. Then I think about a coach from the 70s looking at salaries for head coaches today, looking at salaries for assistants, looking at salaries for video production teams within a college football athletic department and the size of the staffs. So look at how many analysts you have. Look at how many people on your nutrition team you have. What is a nutrition team, by the way? Look at the size of the weight rooms. How about the entire science behind recovery, getting ready for the next day, getting ready for the next practice? Hydrotherapy, looking at treadmills that are underwater, looking at anti-gravity treadmills for recovery when you have a lower extremity injury. That sort of thing would boggle my mind. And then I would just look, (laughs) I would take him to a game or I would turn on a game and I would say, watch, tell me what stands out. Can you imagine their reaction when they saw their first targeting call? Can you imagine a coach from the 70s if they saw their first questionable roughing the passer call? Their head would pop off the top of their neck. It would detach from their body. So yeah, this was a really good question, Ron. I think that we could compile a list a mile long of what would stand out the most to coaches if they teleported from the 70s to modern day. I mean, that'd be a really, really fun show to do. I could do an entire podcast on that. And hey, maybe we will at some point. Andrew is asking a really good question about motivation. It's something we've talked about before, and there are different approaches for different head coaches and different programs. You know I have my preference, and I'm going to share that and also answer the question from Andrew right after this. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Andrew teases up here. He says, you've often talked about how a team like Alabama relies on self-motivation, whereas a team like Clemson may prefer to harness the doubt and disrespect angle for motivation, which works but can't last long term. Again, that's according to me, not according to Andrew. He says, can you discuss how you perceive Georgia in that area? Andrew, I think Georgia is kind of a hybrid of both, but I think at its core, and its core being what Kirby Smart wants it to be, Kirby, Kirby learned under Nick Saban. So I think he has probably observed both methods. I think he obviously prefers the way that Nick Saban does it, but here's the thing about it. I guarantee you a lot of coaches around the country prefer the way Saban does it in a lot of different avenues. It's one thing to prefer it. It's one thing to admire it. It's one thing to want it. It's a whole different thing to achieve it. I mean, it's a really, really hard concept to walk into a room of full-grown adults and to say, 
Don't focus on external factors, sales team. We're here in a boardroom. Here's my sales team. I don't want you guys to focus on external factors. I don't want you to compare yourself to other salespeople. I don't want you to compare your record to anyone. I just want you to focus on the here and now, define your maximum potential, and then strive to that. Compete against your potential. That's what you're competing against. Yeah, that sounds great, but guess what the majority of your team is doing? The second they walk out, they're going to pull up a clip that talks about disrespect and motivation to fire themselves up and get themselves in the zone. And then ultimately, they're comparing their numbers to their rivals. And once they get to the top, they think they have achieved. That's, to me, it's human nature. You want to be able to put eyes on your opponent. That's human nature. You want to be able to put eyes on your goal. You want a tangible goal. You want to be result-oriented. You're told, really, from 57 different angles in life, be goal-oriented, be result-oriented. So when someone comes along and says, No, actually, I don't want you to do any of that. I want you to not be goal-oriented. I want you to define your goals, write them on a piece of paper, then put them in a box, lock the box, throw away the key until the end of the year at least, and then I want you to be process-oriented. So what I want you to focus on is not what's on that piece of paper in the box. I want you to have a whole other piece of paper where you define the process that it's going to take to get to that point, and then I just want you focused on this piece of paper all day. And on this piece of paper is not what anyone else is doing. It's not how high anyone else is achieving. It's not how high anyone else is scoring. It's all about you relative to your goal, and your goal should just be to maximize your potential. Well, half of you just fell asleep already. Half of you already tuned out. The attention span, and now let's take it from a boardroom to a locker room, we're talking about 17 to 23-year-olds. The reason I say 17 to 23 is because I'm tired of hearing so many people say 18 to 22, so I'm just changing the age range here. 17 to 23. We're going early enrollees to kids playing for Brigham Young. 17 to 23-year-olds, they just fell asleep, man. That's just, it's so counter to society. It's so counter to the way that you have found to most effectively fire kids up. Well, therein lies the conundrum, as we like to call it here, the old classic conundrum, because it works on the front end. Like you just said, Andrew, in your question, it works on the front end. When you convince a room full of kids, 17 to 23s, when you convince them that people are doubting them, When you can show them headlines of people disrespecting them or you can play clips from ESPN of an analyst saying they don't believe that they're capable of this and that, it's so easy. A blind monkey could fire that group up. That's the easy part. But then you get to the summit. If you're good enough and you have a good enough uh, roster, you get to the summit. And then you dip the bucket down into that well where you've been drawing buckets full of water up time after time after time. And the bucket comes up dry. And then you say that's got to be a mistake. And so you lower the bucket again. And you pull the bucket up and the bucket's dry again. Or maybe you prefer gas. So you pull up to the gas pump and you've been filling your car up there every day for free. And all of a sudden it goes. And there's no more gas coming out. You said, well, that can't be right. Go to another pump. Same thing. Nothing coming out. It's dry. The source that I had used is dried up. Well, where do I go now? I mean, if the gas pumps didn't work, where would you go to fuel your car? You wouldn't be able to go anywhere. That's the answer, because everything that you knew about being able to make your car go, well, it no longer goes. It's the same thing when you rely on disrespect and when you rely on doubt, when you rely on anything external, for that matter, to motivate you, whether it's an individual or a team. You are totally vulnerable and totally dependent on that source always being there. Well, what if it's not there anymore? Or, translated here, what if you win so much that no one doubts you anymore? It's great, because they can't take away the wins, so on the front end, You got yourself to the mountaintop, but now you got to stay there and your fuel's gone. It's totally dried up, which is why we revert back to the way that we're talking about with Nick Saban. The reason I prefer it that way is because that's everlasting. 
I mean, that's the gas pump that doesn't run dry. That's the well that never runs dry. Because if you're not relying on disrespect and motivation, if you're relying on something internal, as long as you're here, it's going to be here. So as long as you're telling yourself, I ain't worried about what anyone else thinks about me. I'm not worried about what anyone says about me or, or writes about me or tweets about me. All that's noise. All that's noise. I'm defining my potential on the inside, and then I'm drawing it out every day. I'm drawing the motivation I need out every day. Let me take you really down the rabbit hole. A long time ago, I thought about this in relation to myself. So I've listened to speakers talk about this. This is not some new age concept. It's been around as long as man has been around. But I thought about this in relation to myself one day, and I asked, where am I using external factors in my life? So I realized in the gym, I was using an external factor. It's called music. I thought to myself, I need to have earbuds in and I need to be listening to music when I work out. Why? To focus me and to motivate me. Well, I thought about it and I said, well, A, you're a hypocrite because B, don't you claim that you shouldn't be leaning on any kind of external factor anywhere in order to motivate you? And I ignored it for a little while because I didn't want to put the music away. But eventually I realized, yeah, that's right. That's kind of true. So I don't listen to music anymore when I work out. Now, if it's on in there, that's another story. I can't control that. But I don't pop earbuds in. I do not listen to music when I'm working out. In the short term, it sucked because it was a hard adjustment. Long term, I'll never go back to listening to music while I work out. And I love music, but I'll never listen to it while I work out. So just to note, I have practically applied this to my life. It works. These people aren't idiots when they say it. Nick Saban's not stupid when he says it. It does work. Now, I don't rely on it. I'm totally fine. Whereas back in the day, if I had gotten to the gym and I were sitting in the parking lot and I realized, oh man, I left my phone at home or I left my earbuds at home. I kid you not, I would have been half tempted to turn around and go home because it would have been such a detriment to what my workout strategy was at the time. I would have thought, well, can't work out now. Yeah, you can. You don't need music to work out. You don't need anything. If you're claiming that it motivates you, just like if you're a football team and you're claiming disrespect motivates you, none of that stuff's drawing something out of you that's not already in you to begin with. You're just claiming that it takes that to draw it out of you. Well, if it's drawing it out of you, it was in you before anyone ever tweeted anything. It was in you before the music ever got turned on. The secret is finding out how to draw it out of yourself without leaning on anything external to do it. That's the secret. So that's all they're talking about. So as for Georgia, we circle back around, it seems like an hour ago, Andrew asked, where does Georgia stand on this? I think Kirby Smart stands firmly where Nick Saban does. If he could rely on using the purely internal motivation technique, he'd do it. I think probably he has learned and he's in the process of trying to evolve his program, but he is learning. It's really hard. It's easy for him to do it. I mean, he's a full grown adult, like he's been through all this stuff. He knows how to do it. Can he take his mentality and put it in the mindset of his players? Now, I don't think Georgia has nearly as big a problem with this as others, but we also don't know, really, because we've never seen Georgia get to the mountaintop. So right now, Andrew, with all due respect to the question, it's impossible to know because every program looks ultra-hungry and ultra-motivated when they're on the climb. We haven't seen Georgia at the mountaintop yet. When we see them at the mountaintop, that's when we'll be able to cast a proper diagnosis. All right, move on here. Let me, let me fan my shirt a little bit. Got hot in the room during that question. Okay, moving on. Kyle asked, what are your thoughts on Justin Fields sliding in mock drafts? I couldn't care less. First off, how do you slide in a mock draft? A mock draft is arbitrary. It's meaningless. It's not real. It's just a figment or a pigment, as some would say, of your imagination. I'm not saying they don't put them out. I'm saying there is nothing tangible in value that exists in a mock draft. 
if I were to put out a mock draft today and I had Justin Fields going first overall, and then I put out one tomorrow and he's going 19th overall, he didn't slide. It's not that anything real happened, if that makes sense. I just put out a new ranking. It's the same as if I put out a power rating in week one, Ohio State's number one. Week two, Ohio State's number 19. Nothing changed. Ohio State is the team they are. My mind changed, but we don't crown a champion based on where my mind is. Just like no one gets drafted based on where they are in your graphic of your latest mock draft. So first off, I don't care about them. Secondly, I do admit I have seen them lately. I'm just going to say this about Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is the number two quarterback in this draft. I think that if you go any further down the list, the number two for Justin Fields, I would disagree with you. But if I'm to believe a lot of the rumors out there, Zach Wilson's in the mix here, Mac Jones is in the mix here, and I wouldn't be upset if my organization took either of those guys. So don't misunderstand me. This is not a slide on them. I just think Justin Fields is a phenomenal player. I think he's the second best quarterback in the draft. But here's what I think is really good. I think it's good twofold. Number one, I love Justin Fields as a player. Number two, I love what he's done in the last year. Think about this. He was very vocal in trying to get the season started. Remember when the Big Ten closed its doors, he was one of the players very vocal, out front vocal about turning the decision around. Whatever it takes, we want to play. You say you're in this for the players. Well, I am one of the players. I speak for a lot of the players. We want to play. You can never know how far that went in overturning the Big Ten's decision. I can just tell you it mattered. And we'll leave it at that. But then, so that was his public service on the front end of the season. Then after the season, he is serving the public in another way. He is serving to expose a lot of the fraudulence in the mock draft community, the mock community, as I like to call it. Because we get to screenshot all of this. We get to remember all of it. So anyone out there who's telling you Justin Fields has this concern and that concern, Justin Fields struggles past his first read, Justin Fields, he was ineffective against Northwestern, just remember it. Just Because here's what happens. What happens is there's this community out there. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. They don't watch college football. They watch the playoffs. They watch the title game. But they really don't watch college football. But they're paid to talk about football. It's the craziest concept in the world. They're paid to talk about it, but they don't watch it. They're paid to cover the draft, but they don't watch the players who are going to be coming into the draft. And so these people are literally weighing a performance in a combine setting Every bit as much, if not more, than what you did during entire chunks of your college career. And that's why you see such volatility in mock draft season, because that is how much opinion is changing by the second on players. You got Justin Fields, you got guys who have in some cases played three or four years who you should be completely entrenched in your view of by the time they declare for the draft, and you're sitting there moving them up based on a tenth of a second in their 40 time. You're sitting there moving them up based on whether they look dead on the money or maybe moving them down because they underthrow a receiver against air in a pro day workout. It's mind-boggling. But Justin Fields and guys like him help to expose the fraud in the mock community. And so you get to remember it. And you get to look back. And you get to decide for yourself, which is the beauty for you as a viewer or listener or fan. You get to watch the track record of a lot of these folks, myself included, who get paid some money to do this stuff for a living. And you'll notice I very rarely, if ever, make any of these bold proclamations. Because to be honest, you should only be making these bold proclamations when you feel very strongly about something. When I feel strongly about something, I'll make the bold proclamation. I told you after the Oklahoma game, I thought Tom Herman was going to be fired. I rarely ever do that. I turns out I was right. 
I'm not going to bat a thousand on that, but I was very convicted in my belief on that. I don't do it every other week because if I were you, here's exactly what I'd be doing. I'd be screenshotting or I'd be recording every single one of those bold predictions and I would be keeping the receipts and throwing them right back in my face when we got a definitive conclusion on that issue one way or the other. Well, that doesn't happen enough. To me, it doesn't happen enough because there is no entity out there aside from freezing cold takes on Twitter, which I think is a public service in and of itself. There is no one out there. There's no group out there that really polices sports media and throws this stuff back in the faces of these lunatics who, who just freely toss this garbage out in the name of hashtag content, knowing there's going to be no repercussion, knowing full well I can put it out today and it'll blow away like a tumbleweed in the wind of other terrible sports takes a week from now. Well, keep notes of it. And you know what else you should do? You should do this when it comes to preview magazine season two. Because this happens in college football, just like the Mont Draft community. You know, as well as I do, this stuff happens. So I am of the belief that anyone should be able to say what they want to. But I think you guys should also be totally free to keep track and keep record. And when November and December comes around, it should be a very nervous time in our industry. Because that's when a lot of those screenshots and a lot of those takes should be resurfacing. And there should be an account that's had to be given for those. I mean, these are the people who get to sit in press conferences and call coaches onto the carpet for their poor decisions in games. Why in the world shouldn't they, or we in that case, why in the world shouldn't that be the same for us? It should be. All right. Now that I've spoken my piece there, let's move on. Emiliano came to me on YouTube when I did a list of the potential next tier one programs in college football. And I think I circled Georgia if they're not already there. I I would consider them kind of already there. But if you don't consider them there, or Oklahoma, if you don't consider them there, they would be slam dunks as being next in line. But then behind them, I circled teams like Texas A&M as being really next, being on the precipice of being able to access that tier one. They're not there now. They could access it. Well, Emiliano came and said, how could you leave Texas off the list of next tier one programs? And I responded there, and I'll respond here. It's very easy. I don't believe that they are imminently in line to be the next tier one program in college football. I think the development plan there has to be overhauled. I think player personnel from a roster standpoint is not nearly as good as maybe the team talent composite rating suggests it is. Strength and conditioning has to be overhauled there. You also have to overhaul, in a lot of cases, the inside from an administrative standpoint that we can't even see. I have no clue what the power dynamic is going to be like there with Sark. I don't know if Steve Sarkeesian has the chest to walk in there and command the respect and attention of the folks at Texas the way that Nick Saban does at Alabama. I saw how he operated under Saban at Alabama, but you're going to have to forgive me if I don't blindly think he can just copy and paste that blueprint into Austin, Texas. I don't believe that. And I'm someone who would love for it to happen. I'd love for that to happen. You know my philosophy on this. I want all the big programs to be good. So that's my philosophy. So if anything, I'm biased in your favor here, Emiliano. I would just be lying to you if I said I thought we were just absolutely on some can't miss slam dunk road to Texas being the next tier one program with the only question being when it's going to happen, not if it's going to happen. All right, I think that's good for today. We'll get a good solid 30 minutes here in on this Easter Eve, Eve, Eve. We have got Late Kick Live tonight. Remember, also at Late Kick Josh on Instagram. That is the call to action right now. This show is free, and it will remain free as long as we can get the kind of traction that we need on these kinds of platforms. And remember, I don't ask you for 15 things at one time. So right now, at Late Kick Josh on Instagram. Steal your mom's phone. I know a lot of you are going to be around family over the weekend. 
So steal as many phones as you can and give us a follow at the appropriate places. You already know the drill. You guys do phenomenal work for me on this. So thank you so much for listening. For Producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great holiday weekend. We will see you back here next week, and we will see you tonight for Late Kick Live. Thanks a lot, and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.